You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Good morning. Happy New Year. And uh, I wanted to say uh, welcome to those joining us online again uh, this morning. And uh, uh, again, uh, love the comments. I've been seeing you guys put in the comments in the live stream or on uh, uh, Facebook, uh, whatever platform you're watching on. And uh, so I just encourage you guys to continue to do that. And uh, it is good to come together around the word of the Lord. And uh, thankful for the guys. Uh, maybe you're expecting to see Joel this morning. Joel, is, uh, his back was, uh, you had one of those moments where you bend over and then all of a sudden your back doesn't work anymore. And uh, so he... Uh, Thankfully, is is getting better as the days go on, but uh, was not able to be healed here today. And so, just really appreciate uh, the guys leading us in worship this morning. Well, we're back in Romans, and as we turn into chapter four, I'm calling chapter four gospel history. Gospel history, as we uh, as we're going to continue in the book of Romans. Lord willing, by uh, June, we'll get to Romans chapter eleven. And, uh, and then we're going to take a break in the summer on the book of Romans, and we'll finish it by the end of the year, Lord willing. So 2021, we'll see us go through the book of Romans and whatever other uh, book he has for us in the summer. So we'll look at that as we get closer to that time. But what we've been finding is that um, Paul is telling us, you can't save yourself. He's been telling us that over and over again. That's why the gospel is so important. That's why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. As we get into chapter 4, there might be a little bit of a temptation to say, um, we, we just talked about this. Why, why are we talking about it again? Are you, are you the kind of person that um, you, you, you start hearing something, you're like, yeah, I already know that. And then you just shut the person down. Could be like, um, uh, hey, can you go grab the shovel out of the shed, for example, right? And, and, uh, and they continue to talk, but you're already gone. I don't need to, it's in the shed, good. I'm, you know. But what their directions were was like at the neighbor's place, underneath, you know, whatever stuff, right? Like, but, but we missed that whole information because we were too quick to say, I already know that. And I wonder sometimes if we're like that in our Christian faith. Yeah, 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 I already know that. Yeah, yeah, the gospel. Click, you know, done. We already got that. And I want to just encourage you not to have that mindset. In fact, you know, to be honest, as I looked at chapter 4, I'm like, well, what am I going to say? You know, we, we just talked about this, you know, in chapter 3. What, 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 is, what is Paul adding here? Well, as I studied, because that's my job, right? As I, as I studied the text, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, there's a ton in here that we need to understand about our faith. And, and uh, so can I just encourage you guys, we're going to come back to this at the end of the sermon, but in 2021, let's, let's not like have like this, I already know that attitude about our faith. Let us be the kind of people who are diligently growing in our faith because we want to know God more, because we want to please Him better. And so as we get into chapter 4, Paul is going to use an illustration. He's going to use Abraham as the illustration. 
Now, Abraham is like the best illustration still today. Why? Well, still today, there's a whole lot of people who point back to Abraham as their father. There are, of course, the Jews, which we're like, okay, that's a no-brainer. But so do we as Christians, as we're going to see in the text today. But also, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the people who, uh, of Islam also believe that Abraham is their father. And so as we consider evangelism, Abraham is a key, key person. How is it that Abraham was made right with God? This is what Paul is going to be focusing on as we look at the text today. And it is important for you and I to understand that the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore has not changed the way that we are to be made right with him. There was not an Old Testament way, and now there's a New Testament way. God has always said that it is by faith alone that you and I can be saved. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Let me pray for us one more time, and then we'll get into the text. Lord God, we are so thankful for this time together this morning. Lord, as Mark has already said this morning, there is a temptation to become discouraged when we look around at the world that we live in right now. But God, we pray that as we turn our attention to your word, to who you are, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts this morning. Lord, you are the God over this world. You are sovereign in all your ways. God, you are good in all your ways. And though we may not always see it, Lord, we know right now, Lord, you're at work. You're at work in our own hearts, and you're at work in, the, in this world. Lord, you're bringing about your purposes. And so, God, as we want to be a people who are faithful, as we begin a new year, Lord, help us, Lord, to know you more. Help us to love you better this year. Lord, we want to be people who submit to the authority of your word. We want to be people who are used of you, Lord, to see your kingdom come and, to your, and for your will to be done. And so, Lord, as we begin together as a body of Christ this new year, Lord, lead us, guide us by your power, your spirit. It's your name we pray. Amen. We're in Romans chapter 4, as I mentioned. Romans chapter 4, and uh, the, the, the text that Kevin read for us this morning is the text that we're going to be studying. I had him read it beforehand, so we're not going to read it now. We're just going to get right into it. We are made with God through faith alone. That's the nail. Faith alone, first of all, because God credits all righteousness. He is the one who credits all righteousness. Again, as we look at verses 1 and 2, we see that it says this, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. We see here that Paul has been used to going to the temple, going to the synagogues and proclaiming this gospel, and he continually gets the same kind of questions. And so again, he's anticipating the question, well, what about Abraham? Now, Abraham was to the Jews what Mary is to many 
Christians today. They've made Abraham to be somebody he really wasn't. Just as people today sometimes make Mary to be somebody she really was not. He says here that, What shall we be gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Now, as we're going to see, of course, the Jews can legitimately claim Abraham as their forefather, but so can you and I, as we're going to, again, study the text here today. Now, in order for us to understand how they viewed Abraham back at that time, we first need to understand that they took certain texts and then they kind of built a theology of who Abraham was. They took texts like this, Genesis 26, 4 and 5, saying about Abraham, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So they say, well, see, his righteousness was such that he obeyed all God's commandments, statutes, and laws. That's how it was that he was made right. And so as history went on and as the further they got away from Abraham, they began to do other writings. About 150 years before Christ came, this was written about Abraham. Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. What are they saying about Abraham? He was perfect. He never sinned. Apparently they forgot about the whole Hagar and lying about his wife part. But anyway, but that's what they thought. And then they also said this. We find that Abraham, our father, had performed the whole law before it was, before it was given. For it, for it is written... Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. He was, now listen to what it says here. He was one of the righteous ones, not needing repentance. Thou therefore, O Lord, art thou, art the God of the just, has not appointed repentance to the just, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, which have not sinned against thee. So they included even Isaac and Jacob as not having sinned against God. But thou hast appointed repentance to me as a sinner. This is from the prayer of Manassas. So, you see what they're saying about Abraham? He's perfect. That's how he was made right with God. It was by his obedience to the law before there was even a law. That's how he was made right with God. So this is what Paul is battling. And by the way, Paul probably believed this himself at one point in his life. As a devout Jew, he probably had the same, he had studied these same texts I just read. He would have believed that about Abraham. But as he studied the scripture, he understood that that actually is not the case. Abraham was not perfect. And his righteousness did not come about as a result of his works. His works came after his justification, just as it does for you and I as believers. Again, I find it fascinating, the same mistakes that the Jewish people made with Abraham that people who call upon Christ have made with Mary, right? That was we studied at Christmas, on Christmas Eve, they, 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 that Jesus was the firstborn. Well, they believed that Jesus was the only one born to Mary, that she was forever virgin. And when it comes to praying, that you should pray to Mary, 
Yeah, yes, you could go to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, but, but you can also pray to Mary. And so we have to be on guard against making these same mistakes that were made back then and are being made today. Now, how would we know how Abraham's righteousness came about? Is it just based on popular opinion? Paul, he, he had one opinion. The Jews, they had another opinion. You know, it's just kind of up to us to decide how his righteousness came about. Of course, if you've been studying the Scriptures for any amount of time, you know the answer it does not come as a result of our popular opinion. It is, comes about by the Scriptures. So that's where Paul turns us to. Verse 3, for what does the Scripture say? How did his righteousness come about? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, this is found in Genesis 15, 6. Really important that we understand when these things are happening to kind of look back on the life of Abraham. Of course, we know in Genesis 12, he had left his homeland, and now he is sojourning from place to place. God has made a promise that he's going to bless all the nations through him in Genesis 12, but as he gets to Genesis 15... Still no kid, still no person to build a nation from. Genesis 15, looking back on this text, and again, I write, encourage you guys to write these things down and, and look them up for yourself later, but Genesis 15, verse 4, it says this, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Abraham has just said, I guess Eleazar will be my will be the heir. My servant will be my heir because I'm like 85 years old and I don't have a kid. But this is what the Lord said. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look, he, God, said this to Abraham, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. Hearing the promise of God, we are told that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is what faith is. It is believing in the promises of God. Now, what do you think? Did it take some faith for Abraham to believe that? 85 years old? I'm not sure how many years they've been married, but the guess would be probably around 60 years by that point. No child yet. Would it take faith to believe that when God says you're going to have a child and, and I'm going to build a nation through that, would it take faith? Yes, it took faith. And that is what it says And when we read from Genesis 15, 6 and what Paul has just quoted here. That is what was counted as righteousness. It was through faith, believing in the promises of God. Harrison says this, the nature of Abraham's faith was essentially the same as that of the New Testament believer. Despite the difference in circumstances and time, Abraham looked forward to something God would do, whereas the Christian looks back to what God has provided in Christ. He looked forward, we look back. Faith is believing that what God promises will indeed be true. As you and I think about what Christ has done, we place our faith in that what he says, that anyone who places their trust in him will be forgiven that Christ has completed the work of righteousness for us. Andrew Murray says this, faith expects from God what is beyond all expectation. 
Paul continues, verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. I think we all understand what he's saying here, right? You, you, you don't think of when your paycheck comes in on, you know, every two weeks, like, wow, what a gift. Like, I can't believe they did this for me. Like, nobody's thinking that. They're like, yeah, well, I worked the work, right? That was the agreement. I would work, you would pay. That's how it works. And so when one works, he does not think of it as a gift when he receives his wages. But when it comes to our justification, we need to remember what Paul said in Romans 3.24. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It is not through our works. That's why he says in verse 5, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. In the same way that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, the person who does not work, that is an attempt to earn righteousness, but rather believes in Christ who justifies the ungodly, that person's faith is counted as righteousness. Now this word translated counted, it means to be credited or to become attributed or reckoned to as an asset to someone's account. In verse 4, the person is owed according to their wages. And in verse 5, the person who does not work is not owed anything, but rather his accounting of righteousness to his account comes about as a gift from the one giving it to the one who has faith to believe what God has promised. This verb is used eight times in verses 3 to 11. The righteousness that is given is imputed. Now, that's an important word. In the Reformation, that became a really important word. It's imputed to the account of those who believe. What does imputation mean? Lloyd-Jones puts it like this. When we have nothing at all, God puts in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He imputes it to us as if it were in our account and thereby clears all guilt and debt. He pronounces that all his claims against us are satisfied. As we're going to continue in the book of Romans, we're going to see that what should our wages be? If you want to think about works and what our wages should be, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a free gift. It's given to us. So if you think about our spiritual status as a bank account, we all owe a debt that we cannot pay. doesn't matter how many payments you pay, you're never going to be able to pay it. That's what we are owed due to our sin. We are owed death eternally to pay back our sin against him. But when we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God gives us Christ's righteousness in our account. He puts that into our account instead. And the debt is removed, as we're going to see in just a moment. By faith alone, not by works. We are given Christ's righteousness to our account, so our salvation is secure in Him. That's what we believe in faith today. Do you believe that? That because of what Christ has done, by dying on a cross, that he takes 
your sin upon himself and instead gives you his perfect righteousness. So that when God looks at you, he sees you in Christ's righteousness, not your own. That's what justification is. That's how we were made right with God in that moment. It's a legal declaration. So, since it depends on Jesus Christ, can I be assured of my salvation? 100%. Because it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the work that Christ has done. Great parallel passage to the passage we're studying today is Galatians chapter 3. Let me just read verses 7 to 9. Paul says this, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. How was it that Abraham was made right with God? By his faith, just as has been all through the history of man. It is by faith alone. God credits all righteousness. It's also faith alone because God clears all debt. As I've already mentioned, there is something that needs to be removed, and Paul brings this up now in verses 6 to 8. He's emphasized the crediting to our account, but now Paul shifts the focus to talk what is removed from our account by faith in Christ. And he briefly switches from Abraham, which all the Jews revered, to King David, another great person for them to look to. Many people loved King David. And so he turns the focus to him in verse 6. We read, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, just as. In other words, what I'm about to say is a parallel statement to what I've just said about faith coming, sorry, righteousness coming about by faith. He speaks of the blessing to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. This is the whole point. Our righteousness does not come by our works. Now, the example he uses is from Psalm 32. We read in verses 7 and 8, which is Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now, Psalm 32, a little bit of background here. Psalm 32 comes out of David's, one of David's darkest times in his life. If you know anything about King David, and I'm thankful that we have our grade threes and sixes here today. Uh, you guys could probably help us out here. But if we understand anything about King David, we know that he had some great days, right? He, he, he was a shepherd boy who all of a sudden became a man who killed Goliath. Why? By his faith. And, and, and he continued to flee from Saul, who was trying to kill him. He he was a righteous man in his ways as he did that. And when everything was better in his life, when he was the king and, and he had peace around him, he turned away from God. He looked at a woman with lust, took her to be his own, committed adultery with her, 
And then when he realized he would not be able to cover it up, he had his, her, sorry, her husband killed. He was responsible for the murder of Uriah. Well, he keeps it hidden for a while, but then God in his grace brings Nathan the prophet to confront him in his sin. David, his response to Nathan's confrontation is this. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. He was forgiven. Psalm 51 gives us a bigger picture of how David felt about his sin. Let me read just a few verses from Psalm 51. David said this about his sin. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David does not hide the fact that he is a sinner. He pours out his heart to the Lord, asking for his forgiveness. Verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And then he says this, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David did what is required of all man. He goes to the Lord and he asks for forgiveness for his sins. And Psalm 32 is the overflowing of that. It's, it's a psalm of thanksgiving, of recognition of what God has done with his sin. That he has forgiven him. Note three times he talks about his sin and then three times he talks about what God did about it. He says that his lawless deeds were forgiven, that his sins are covered, and that God did not hold his sins against him. That person is the one who is truly blessed. Righteousness, how did righteousness come about? It was through faith in God. It was by repentance that, it, that, that um, his righteousness came about. So how does forgiveness come about for you and I today? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so there's the two sides, God giving us Christ's perfect righteousness and us giving Christ our sin and him paying the price for us. Stott says this, Christ became sin with our sins in order that we might become righteousness with God's righteousness. God counted it to our account. The process is complete, a justification. Righteousness accounted to our account through Christ. Our debts removed and Christ's righteousness credited to us. 
It's important that we grasp this as believers. Do we understand that? The Reformers were helpful in our understanding. Stott says, the Reformers were surely right that when God justifies sinners, he does not make them righteous, for that is a consequent process of sanctification, but he pronounces them righteous or imputes righteousness to them, reckoning them to be and treating them as legally righteous. This morning we're reminded that this salvation we enjoy is a gift through Christ alone. It is through our faith in Him that we are made right with Him. When we place our faith in Him, those old clothes that we used to wear, as Isaiah puts it, those, those filthy rags that we used to put on are taken off, and we are now clothed with Christ's righteousness. And that should change everything for us as the people of God. We are clothed in His righteousness, and as such, we ought to live that way. You know, how we dress actually seems to have an impact even in the mundane, right? You put on some sweatpants, right, and a, and a sweatshirt. What, what's, the, what's, the, what's the demeanor? Relaxed, right? We're like, relaxed, right? You put on a suit, right? You're kind of, your, 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 your whole demeanor changes. So should it be for those of us who are now clothed in Christ's righteousness, Maybe this morning, you're kind of like my sister was. You're wondering if God can forgive you. Some of you, maybe it may be that you've never placed your faith in Christ. And you're wondering, have you sinned too much? Well, think of David. Killed someone and committed adultery. God forgave him. When did that take place? Before David came into a relationship with God? It came after. A couple years ago, my sister found out that she didn't have much time to live. And... Um, and so she called me, told me that. And so I said to Heather, I'm just going to drive up to Red Deer and uh, just talk with her. She had not been living for the Lord. She had at one time. She'd been following Christ and loved Him and, and had been doing really well. But she'd had a time where that just wasn't the case. She'd been walking in rebellion against Him. And as I came in to the hospital room, the first thing that she said to me is, can God still forgive me? What would you say to her? Nope. You, you sinned too much. You took God's grace for granted. No forgiveness for you. Would you say that? Would you say, well, if you really work hard, go to church a whole lot and, and, and be a good person, maybe God can forgive you. Would you say that? My hope would be that you would do what Paul has just done with us here. 
As I did with my sister, I took her to Psalm 32. I took her to Psalm 51. I assured her that as the Bible tells us, the person who is truly repentant, God will forgive every time. Can I just encourage you with that this morning? If you're walking and no one's saying, you know it in your heart, and you kind of just keep, kind of keep pushing it down, and, and you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know I'm not doing the right thing, but I'm just going to, maybe later I'll take care of that. I, can I just encourage you this morning? Repent today. Get right with God today. And then walk in His ways. God will forgive. He is good. Just as He was with David, He will be with you. We were made right with God through faith alone. God credits all righteousness and he clears all debt. Lastly, he calls all people. Who then can be saved? Is it just Jews? Is it, is it just Gentiles? Who is it that can be saved? This last point, we're reminded that God saves all people from all different backgrounds. God does not base our worthiness on things like circumcision or the law. This is the point he's been making for three chapters, and he's summarizing it by, again, looking back to Abraham. You think that I'm teaching some kind of new truth? I'm not te- teaching a new truth. If you'd understood what God was doing in the Old Testament, you'd understand that this is the fulfillment of what have God has said all along. Every man and every woman's salvation comes through faith alone. Verse 9 is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For if we say that faith was counted to Abraham, for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Right? So again, he's anticipating the question. Is this, is this faith only for the circumcised or is it for the uncircumcised? If you remember, in the early church days, there was a whole lot of Jewish Christians saying, listen, the Gentiles need to be circumcised if they're going to truly be in the faith. So this was not just a a small thing, a small question they had. This was a big deal. So Paul says this in verse 10, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? And then he answers, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. The sign of circumcision actually came 14 years later. Genesis 15.6 was 14 years before Genesis 17, where God calls Abraham to be circumcised. The, the circumcision was to be a sign, was to be a symbol of what God had done, that, God, that, that, that Abraham was made right with God. Note, it was 14 years, by the way. Sometimes we need to remember that when we're flipping through the chapters, right, like 14, year, 14 more years went by, right? 60 years without having a kid and then tack on 14 more years. But God was faithful in his time to fulfill the promises that he had made. Can you just embrace that in 2021? I don't know about you, but I'm ready to move on to some new things. But Not my time, but God's time. Let's embrace His time. So, how was it? It was before He was circumcised. 
like 2,000 years of studying Abraham, you would think the Jewish people would have remembered that, but they had lost that. Just as 2,000 years after Christ, some of us can forget that about baptism. Baptism does not save us. Baptism is to be a symbol of the justification that has taken place, just as circumcision was to be the same for the Jewish people. The outward symbol did not make them right with God. That's why Jesus was, was calling the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, right? It's, it's not about the outward symbols. It's not about that. It's about your heart. So we need to remember that as well. God desires us to be baptized, but not until we have come to faith in him. Just a plug for baptism, 2021. If you are in Christ, you should be baptized. All right? It's just obedient. So that's between you and the Lord. Verse 11. He received the sign of circumcision, what? As a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteousness that would be, would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the, uncir- uh, sorry, of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. What's he saying? We all have Abraham as our father. How? Because it is only by faith alone that we can come and be made right with God. Justification only comes through faith alone. Just as it did for Abraham, just as it does for the people who are circumcised, who walk in faith, just as Abraham did. Well, if circumcision was supposed to be a symbol of the justification of Abraham that came by faith, what about the law? What's the relationship between the law and faith? He talks about this in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Okay, well, you think 14 years was a long time. How, kids, help me out. When did the law come? Anybody remember how much longer after Abraham that the law came? Was Abraham still alive when the law came? No, he was not. How long? 430 years later. How did I know that? Well, I studied this week, and as I said, the parallel passage, Galatians chapter 3 says, in verse 17, that it was 430 years afterward that the law came into being, which made me get into a whole lot of other study that I don't have time to talk about right now, okay? But that's what Abraham tells us. 430 years later is when the law came into being. So, the promise that was made, did it have anything to do with the law? What's the answer? The obvious answer is, no, it had nothing to do with the law. It had everything to do with the promise. Galatians 3, 17 and 18 says this, This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. 
For if the inheritance comes by the law, it, is no, longer, it no longer comes by promise, but, by, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Genesis 12, God had made a promise that he would bless all the nations. Now, really interesting here, we see that the promise to Abraham was to his offspring that what? That he would be heir of the world. Heir of the world? I knew that there was a chunk of land being promised, but what's this heir of the world thing? Well, again, Galatians 3, really helpful for, here, for us to understand this text. In the verse previous, in Galatians 3.16, we understand that the heir, the offspring, is talking about Christ. Verse 16 of Galatians 3. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Christ is coming and will rule the world. Is that encouraging to you this morning? Governments will come and governments will go, but Christ will rule. And, crazy enough, says that we will rule alongside him. Is that encouraging this morning? Like, I don't know about you, but sometimes I kind of feel a little bit helpless, hopeless, maybe even, when it comes to having an impact on what our governments do or don't do. But there is the reality, first of all, Revelation 1.5, that Christ right now is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Right now. That, that, as it says in Romans 13, that he sets up government and he tears down governments. So let us first remember that, that he's overall even now. But there is a time coming when he's going to make all things right on this earth and he's going to reign over all the earth. And we who are his people will reign alongside with him. That's great encouragement in 2021. It could be this year. Do you believe that? In faith? that it could be this year. We don't know the time, but we know that it's coming soon. And he will fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham 4,000 years ago. That he would be heir of the world. Stott says this, his people are his fellow heirs, which is why the meek will inherit the earth. And why in and through Christ all things are ours, including the world. We are victors through the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we walk in meekness today. We walk in humility before the King of kings and Lord of lords, desiring that his kingdom come and his will be done on this earth. But there is a day coming when he will reign forevermore. Verse 14, getting back to the law. For if it is, sorry, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. If it's about walking in obedience to the law, then it has nothing to do with the promise that was made. And oh, by the way, reminder what the law brought. The law brought wrath. Just as he's been telling us for three chapters already, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. The law was given to show us that we need a Savior. 
Stott says it like this, law language demands our obedience, but promise language demands our faith. What God said to Abraham was not, obey this law and I will bless you, but I will bless you, believe my promise. The law brought wrath because no person could walk in obedience to it. The law shows us our need for a Savior and makes us accountable to live by it. But through the promise, we have hope. Abraham had hope in the Lord God. You and I have hope in the Lord God because of the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ. And then he sums it up in verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. In other words, both to the Jew and to the Gentile, it is by faith alone that you can be saved. But note also what he says here, that it rests on grace. Grace and grace alone. And we can be guaranteed of our salvation through him. It's important that we understand that while how important faith is, grace is all the more important. Because without the grace of God, none of us would be saved. MacArthur puts it like this, the power of salvation or justification is in God's grace, not in man's faith. Abraham's faith was not in itself righteousness, but was reckoned to him as righteousness on the basis of the one who would himself graciously provide for believers, including Abraham. The righteousness they could never attain by themselves. Grace is the divine power that brings justification in order that the promise may be certain to all his descendants. Again, your faith, your, sorry, your, your salvation is certain. Why? Because of God's grace. It's because of his work that we have assurance today. God's amazing grace applied to all those who place their faith in him. The old system, law, obedience, transgression, and wrath. Instead, grace, promise, faith, and blessing. Just as God has always intended it. Faith alone, because God credits all righteousness, God clears all debt, and God calls all people. As we continue our study next week in chapter 4, we're going to see that it impacts your entire life. We're going to see that God is the one who creates all life. At the beginning of the sermon, I talked about the fact that sometimes we say, I know, I know, I know. Can I just exhort you this, this morning to make 2021 a year where you grow in your knowledge of God? When you grow in your knowledge of your faith? Where are you at today? Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're like, I, I really don't understand it. I'm here because I want to know, I want to grow, but I still don't understand even how to be made right with God. Pick up 
your Bible and read the book of John. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one online. Read the book of John. Or someone, ask a Christian, they'll buy you one happily. But read the book of John. For you, that's what it means to grow in your knowledge. If you've been in the faith for a while, and you've never read through the Bible, Genesis to right through to Revelation, this year is the year, okay? No more putting that off. Make that your resolution, that I'm going to read from Genesis to Revelation. Why? Because I need to know. I need to know more. And maybe you, like, okay, I've I've done that a few times. Every year I've kind of done the Genesis through Revelation thing. It's about three chapters a day. But but I, I want something different. Then maybe for you, you want to go into a book and study that. For me, that's what I'm doing this year. I, I'm kind of mapping it out, and based on my first three days, I'm going to be in the book of Revelation all year. Because I'm just taking one verse at a time, and I'm studying it, word by word, verse by verse. Taking some commentaries alongside it, just to, I, I want to know more. We all need to grow in our knowledge. There is no... There's no excuse for ignorance in the body of Christ. If you love him, then you want to know him more and more and more. So whatever your plan is, talk about it as a family, tell each other what you're doing, and then keep each other accountable. If you're single, you tell someone else, right? And let's keep each other accountable to be in the word and to know him this year. And then can I just encourage you as well? If you know it, do you really believe it? If you really believe what we're talking about here this morning, then you're going to want to share it. If you don't have a a practice of sharing your faith with others, I want you to stop and think about why? why. Why am I not sharing my faith? Is it the fear of man? Is it because I really don't understand my faith? I really don't know it? So then I don't know what to tell anyone. I, don't, I wouldn't know where to start. Is it because you're not really convinced that God is good? I, I don't know what it is, but I want you to stop and think about that. What is it that's preventing you from sharing your faith? Again, if you love Him... You want to share it. You want to share it. We do it with our hobbies, right? Like, nobody wants to hear about your puzzles, right? But we're telling everybody anyways, right? How much more should we be sharing what God has done? This faith that we're talking about this morning, that, that takes helpless, hopeless people and bring, gives them hope for eternity, that takes dead people and makes them alive. That takes us out of darkness into light. Like how can we not share this? And again, I want you to think through what's preventing you and then change that. Listen, I don't know what 2021 has, but it's made me think, 2020 has made me think a lot about what we need to be doing as a church. How do we equip everybody? If, if, Heaven forbid, 
if we can no longer meet like this and we have to meet in secret and we have to meet in homes and do that, if there's only like 10 or 15 or maybe less of us that are able to get together, what would that look like? We need to be ready. Are you equipped to walk out your faith? Do you know the Word of God? If they took every Bible off the shelf, if they took it off online, would you know enough? Do you, do you know enough to walk in your faith? That's the challenge for 2021. By faith alone are we made right with God. May he use us for his glory and for his honor this year. Amen. Let me pray. God, we love you. We pray that that would be demonstrated in our priorities in 2021. In our passion, Lord, to tell others about you. God, we're thankful that you know exactly what 2021 is going to look like. And so, Lord, we submit ourselves to you again this morning. Lord, we have every reason to be optimistic today. Not because of the circumstances of our world, but because of who you are. Lord, you, we were dead, but you made us alive. Lord, You've come that we might have life and have it abundantly. Lord, we get to have a relationship with you. We get to serve you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, each and every day. We get to grow in our love and knowledge of you. Lord, may that be our focus this year. Not on whether or not our circumstances are going to change in this world, but Lord, be focused on you. Lord, I am so thankful for your people who are here today. I'm so thankful for the love that you have for each one of them. God, would you help them to grow? Would you help them to grow together, Lord, in their love for you, in their desire to, to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the lost? Lord, strengthen us. Help us. Lord, to bring glory and honor to your name. And Lord, I just think of as well the person who maybe has not been made right with you yet. God, they're, they're still walking in their sin. Lord, they're clinging to that. They, 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 they don't know that they can be forgiven. God, today, would you bring that conviction that they can be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Lord, bring about that repentance that is needed. Lord, that they too might be saved. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.